Kia didn't just make an eight-seat family car, they made a grand utility vehicle, Kia Carnival GUV. Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Don't change me out. Don't change a thing. Yes, a very good evening, everyone. Welcome to Sports Day WA on a sad day for WA football as we mourn the loss of one of the greatest players to ever play the game in Western Australia. Rest in peace, Austin Robinson Jr. To kick 157 goals, you've got to average more than seven a game, and it's a hell of a it's a hell of an ask. With two games to go, I had 22 goals to kick. And in the second last game, I only kicked the seven, which left me 15 to kick in the last day against East Fremantle. But anyway, the game progressed. I can remember it as though it was yesterday. Got to the point where I'd had 12 by three-quarter time, so I needed three more in the last quarter. Kicked two of them. And then halfway through the last quarter, a lot of people swear the ball went backwards. I'm more inclined to think that it went more sideways. And uh, I went back and kick the goal. All eyes on the full four. There goes the kick. This could be it. It's it. He's broken Bernie Nowell's record and congratulations to Aston Robertson. I can't say that I ever went out thinking that I was going to do great things, but there were days when you were on and you could tell that fairly early. When I ran out into the ground in any league game, my pass mark for goals kick was always five. Anything under that wasn't good enough, and of course, anything over that was fantastic. Winning the grand final in 73 is one of the highlights, but not a highlight I remember terribly well. In fact, if today's rules on concussion applied, I would have been taken off the ground halfway through the second quarter. Yes, it was just a great thing to actually be achieved in. And I know Ross Smith came and put his arm around me. He was pretty sad that I hadn't really contributed much and said, he said, uh, Ock, he said, uh, this grand final is, is as much yours as anyone. And that meant, me, meant a great deal to me. Rest in peace, Austin Robinson, Jr. I remember seeing him as a young boy and he was a full forward that, in my eyes, would never miss. From long range, the drop punt became a real art form when it came to Austin Robinson, one of the greats of WA football. As we know, he followed his father, Austin Robinson Sr., and played one season at South Melbourne, where he kicked 60 goals and led the goal kicking for that VFL club in that season. And that was 1966. And today, for the first part of the program, we will pay our respects, as I said, to a giant of the game. He came out of Scotch College in 1961. An amazing year. He kicked 105 goals in 10 Alco Cup games and was spotted then and taken down to Subiaco Oval. On the program, very shortly, I will feature one of his greatest ever teammates who was a part of that 1973 Premiership team at Subiaco, the drought that ended after 49 years. And later, we will speak to John Townsend, in some ways a historian, that will look back over Austin Robertson Jr.'s career in Australian rules football and, of course, post-Australian rules football when he teamed up with Kerry Packer in 1977 and was part of the formative years of World Series cricket. 
He certainly led a, a colourful life and an interesting life, and we'll look back over his life a bit later on. But I'd love to hear from you, for those people that may have remembered Austin Robinson Jr. on the Temper of Bedshed text machine, 0487 736 736. Is he the greatest goal kicker this state has ever produced, taking into consideration what we've seen in the modern times, in the colour TV times of the West Coast Eagles? After all... Austin Robinson Jr. averaged 4.82 goals a game, was held goalless in a match only five times in his career, and he played 251 games for Subiaco and 18 for South Melbourne. And two of those goalless games were in his final season. Let's now have a chat to George Young, one of the greats of, again, WA football, played with Subiaco, was a teammate of Austin Robinson Jr. And as we know, George then went on to play some great football for St Kilda in the VFL. George Young, thanks for joining us on the program. It's been a pleasure, Pete. Uh, we've lost a colourful character, haven't we? Oh, we have, yes. A great legend of our game. You don't use that word loosely when you're uh, speaking of the great uh, Austin Robinson. Uh, yes, he's, uh, he was a wonderful footballer and, uh, and uh, equally just as good a bloke. How good a footballer was he, George? You were pretty good in your own right, but where do you rank Austin Robinson as far as footballers and being such a perfectionist at his craft of kicking goals? Well, Peter, I, I can honestly say that uh, earlier on today I was talking to one of our Subiaco great players, Neil Randall, uh, and uh, he broke the news to me, and I made the comment that Austin was probably the best player that I've ever played with, both here and also in, in Victoria, for what uh, for what he achieved and how he went about it and, uh, and the obstacles that he was confronted with. Saying that, what made him such a great footballer? Because that is a big uh, tribute that you just mentioned there, the best footballer that you have played with and possibly seen. What made him so special? Well, his goal-kicking was his greatest asset. Uh, and he had uh, he had magnificent uh, off-the-mark speed and pace. He could get a uh, put a couple of metres on a full-back just at the drop of a hat. Uh, but his, his goal-kicking and marking was uh, just something to be to really to be revered. You're a very good kick as well. I gather you knew where to put it when he was leading, correct? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, Austin, uh, yeah. I think Austin was quite fortunate in that he had some great players playing in front of him and uh, all of uh, Subiaco's um, forward thrust revolved around Austin being on the end of it. So uh, with people like uh, Cam Blakemore, Reggie Hampson, Peter Metropolis... Aiden Button, of course. Uh, you know, we have a... Uh, most of us, we uh, we knew where Austin was going, even though sometimes it might have been a dummy lead on the odd occasion, but invariably, you just put the ball out in front and Austin would always have that five metres on his on the opposition and uh, he would be able to mark it in whatever area of the ground and you could 99.9% .9 of the time to back him into uh, converting. I'm looking forward to listening to the chat between two great Subiaco identities, yourself and Tim Gossage tomorrow morning. Of course, Goss, as I know, a big Maroons Lions fan. I know that you're on the Brecky Show with Scotty and Goss uh, tomorrow to elaborate a bit more on the career of Austin Robertson Jr. 
But as I leave you, is there one particular match or moment that you will remember Austin Robinson for? Oh, Peter, it's so so difficult. Austin kicked so many goals that, uh, you know, unfortunately I missed the one in, uh, or it must have been the early 70s when he had to kick 14 or 15 in the last uh, game to uh, break 149 or the Australian record, 150. I think we played, or he played on uh, Trevor Sprigg uh, at Subiaco Oval. And uh, that was probably the greatest game that he ever played personally. But uh, really, the, the number of times that Austin kicked bags of in excess of eight goals was just so numerous that it's hard to pinpoint one particular uh, performance. So, uh, no, he was just an aura. He wasn't just a flash in the pan, man. Austin just, he just barreled the goals left, right and centre every, every week of uh, the season. You've lost a couple of greats in recent times, Peter Burton and now Austin Robinson, George. Yeah, both 73 premiership players, Peter. It's, uh, yes, we're getting to that age where uh, I mentioned to Neil Randall, we better start enjoying ourselves. We're running out of time. So, uh, <laughs> We've got to, uh, got to make the most of it. So, uh, yep, uh, yep uh, 1973 was a great year for Subiaco, and I think it's just fitting that Austin was part of that because he contributed so much towards uh, the Subiaco Football Club. Good on you, George. Thanks for spending a few moments with us, and I look forward to you and Goss having a good old chat about the good old days tomorrow on his Brecky Show. Thanks for your time. Been a pleasure, Peter. Gee, he was a decent footballer himself, uh, George Young. Uh, and I saw him actually recently, George Young, and he still looks absolutely terrific. Uh, gee, he was a, an excitement machine uh, in, when he was playing footy for Subiaca and, of course, later St Kilda. But as I mentioned at the top of the program, we've lost one of the greats, one of the real greats of uh, WA football, affectionately known as Ocker. Uh, was born on the 29th of April, 1943. So just uh, 80 years of age, and he's gone to that great uh, football uh, ground in the sky. But saying that, he led a fairly colourful life. And I thought, who can recap Austin Robertson Jr.'s career, both on the field and off the field? And we uh, thought John Townsend, WA football and cricket journalists uh, who's had a bit to do with Austin over the journey joins us on the program. Tony, thanks for your time. G'day, Peter. How are you? Yeah, it is a sad day for, for WA sport and WA because he was a big, larger than life in a lot of ways, wasn't he, uh, Ocker? He certainly and, was. Uh, and when, when you look at his... Sad, stati- sad news today. Yeah, when you look at his statistics, John, they are just mind-blowing uh, what he did achieve. And I've seen the vision of when he kicked 15 goals in that game yeah. uh, to beat Bernie Naylor's uh, record. Uh, it was an, an amazing career, wasn't it? Oh, I mean, he played in an era where the, the full forwards were the absolute superstars too, weren't they? But they, not only that, I mean, they didn't have a, he operated in a, in a time when they didn't have a 50-metre um, arc in the forward line. That was just the full forward goes into the goal square and the, everyone else clears out. And what he does, he just runs at the bloke with the ball. So old-fashioned footy doesn't happen anywhere near as much these days. But what it meant was that you had to be quick, you had to have good hands, and you had to be a very good kick as well. Because if you weren't a good kick, the you know the team was relying on you so much that you know good full forwards were kicking a third of every team's goals. So if you couldn't finish the job, you got moved on, and they had to find a new one. And he was the absolute pick of them with his pace, his hands, and his kicking. His kicking was, I think, his trademark, and consequently kicked. 1,300 goals. No, no, 
more goals than any West Australian, and no one will even come close to what he's done. You look, you know, Buddy Franklin is is the closest who's come to it. He's just gone over a thousand goals, but he's finished, and no other player will ever come close to what Austin Robertson did over his, you know, remarkable career. It's interesting, as a young boy growing up and following the WA NFL, as it was known those days, and being a supporter with another club, every time Austin Robinson took a mark and went back and lined up with that famous drop punt, he didn't miss too often. No, he was technically excellent. And he had... And it's one thing... He shares this with Dennis Lilly, who was his great mate and obviously managed him for a long while. They, they were great at the skill that they were best at, Lily with his fast bowling, Ocker with his kicking. But they had the p- capacity to actually teach or to or to tell people how to do it as well. But the, he, he simplified it. And I've, had, I've been lucky enough in the last several years being involved with Austin as he's tutored, you know, players at waffle level, Jack, Jack Buller at Sydney, uh, the most recent one. And he, he made it very simple. So, you know, Footballers found it very easy, I think, to follow what he was saying. Now, it's a, it's a lot more difficult to actually put it into practice and do all the training that's needed and the practice and the, you know, maintaining your, your level of technique and, and clear mind and all the things that he talked about. But he simplified it. And that's why he was so good, I think, that he managed to actually do what he, what he would tell other players. Keep it simple, run straight, drop the ball straight, kick the ball straight, and follow through straight, and he followed that mantra all the way through, and consequently he became a you know he was a, uh, an absolute dead eye dick I guess as a mm. as a full forward. Interesting. Also, what made it more remarkable his career? He was playing with Subiaco, who during the sixties were a pretty poor side. They finished at the bottom of the WAFL ladder for a number of seasons. And in the end, as we know, by 1973, they won the premiership. But for many years, Austin Robinson played with Subiaco, who were often towards the bottom of the WANFL ladder. Yeah, but that, I mean, that, as I said, said it a moment ago, though, that was indicative of not the, the ladder finish, but the fact that the full forward was the key to the forward line. So... He was still kicking a large number of goals because they'd go to him so many times. But they didn't have many other players around to kick kick other bags. There were no 30-goal kickers or 20-goal kickers or 50-goal kickers. It was He was getting his 100, but they had no one else doing it. So he remained as a superstar, but he couldn't didn't get the support for the team to actually be um, a great winning team as well. And, and that's actually reflected in certainly in the 30s and 40s, two of the, you know, the great goal-kicking eras in WA footy. Um, you know, George Doig played in an era where his team had considerable success and Ted Tyson. But there was a lot of other forwards who were kicking 100 goals, but their teams were, not, were really struggling. So the, forwards were, the full forwards would get the ball a fair bit, but it wasn't necessarily replicated throughout the whole team. And that's why they... You know, their, their personal records look outstanding and the team records are, are poor because they were very one-dimensional, I guess, those teams. Mm. If they'd been a bit more versatile, you might have had a better team, but the full forward might not have kicked his 100 goals. He was inducted into the Australian Football Hall of Fame in 2015. As we know, he's part of the Subiaco team of the century in that position at uh, full forward. After his football career, John, he then linked up with Kerry Packer 
and was one of the central figures in the establishment of World Series cricket in 1977. I wonder how that came about. Oh, well, that, that went back earlier. Now, he was, a, he was a career journalist, so he worked at the Daily News and he actually covered Sheffield Shield cricket. He went on tours occasionally to cover Shield cricket. Um, and he, when he went to uh, Melbourne in, nine, in 1966, he actually worked for newspapers then. So he was a... Um, that was his day job. And he knew John Cornell, who, you know, the famous strop from mm. the Paul Hogan show. He was another Daily Newsman, and he'd gone to Sydney. So when Austin followed him, he remained in contact with him. That was the, the starting point, and Cornell had contacts with Kerry Packer. But Robertson also had a lot to do with Dennis Lilly, and it was Dennis Lilly's suggestion, I think, or the, maybe the, the seed of the idea of World Series career it came from Dennis Lilly, that he thought, you know, we, as a test player, I'm not getting paid what we deserve. Um, you know, this, the, they're dragging in enormous amounts of money. None of it's coming to the players. Maybe it's time to look at something else. And through that group of individuals, Cornell, Robertson and Lilly, the idea came along. They have gone to Kerry Packer. Kerry Packer has obviously got the means to do it. And before you know it, World Series cricket's up and running and was highly successful and, you know, led, led to, in a lot of ways, to where cricket is today so Robertson was at the right time at the right place he did a lot of the publicity um, he did a lot of the signings in 77 when you know he went to to England to sign the players on that Ashes tour they went to um, the West Indies to sign up a lot of the West Indians he traveled around the world signing world-class players so he was intimately involved in in setting it up and then used some of his sort of his journalistic knowledge I suppose to help sell the idea and uh, had a pretty good boss I think in Kerry Packer who was willing to spend what what needed to be spent to get it underway mm. and I think Kerry was a sort of person Kerry Packer was a sort of person who would get involved get his hands dirty and make personal decisions if someone needed to be rung to convince to be done something or to do something Kerry Packer would be the one to get on the phone and convince them so he was uh, Robertson was in that in, in that environment, and Richie Benno, of course, was the other major player in that time. and And Robertson and Benno had a a very strong relationship, which obviously helped the cause as well. So he he was intimately involved in it. He um, he helped set it up. He he helped spark the idea, and then he he uh, was involved with all those people through that that era which uh, became so influential on the on the shape of probably professional sport, not just professional cricket. And he managed many of Australia's leading cricketers, didn't he, over about a period yeah. of 30 years, including the great late Shane Warne, just one of them. Yeah, yeah Warne, Lily, um, Justin Langer's another one that he that he had in his, his stable. Um, and again, he, he opened doors for people. That, that's one thing he had. He's always, you know, he's always been able to, you know, he had a great contact book. I've seen his his contact book actually, and, and you know, even in these days where people have all their numbers in phones, his contact book was inches thick. So he had he had a lot of numbers and names in there. Often, sadly, a lot of those numbers and names no enough. You know, the people behind them no longer exist. And uh, but he was he was able to open doors for all those players, which made him probably the you know a valuable. Uh, manager to have. I don't think he was necessarily a manager going out and doing contracts and and finding 
you know, doing the, the nitty-gritty of, of deals. But what he did, he could open doors. And mm. that's the most important thing. And if you're an open, opening a door for Shane Warne, he's got the, you know, the charisma and the personality to, to take it forward. So I'm sure that they, uh, they probably hit it off pretty well. Interesting. I read an article where he said, because uh, he got concussed in the 1973 grand final, didn't really play a major part in that game, went down in the second quarter. But I read an article where he said uh, on his passing, when he does pass, he would donate his brain to science because he felt he may have had chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is CTE. Um, and I gather... That might be the case now that Austin Robinson Jr. has left us because that was one of his wishes. Yes. Yes, so that, that, that was a column he wrote in the Post newspaper in the Perth Western Suburbs. He, he committed to donating his brain to the Australian Sports Brain Bank. Uh, I think there's about 30 or 40 brains in there already from professional athletes. And Austin has committed to do that. He, he's gone through the, the process uh, that needed to be done. So that that process will continue and he he thought that he that he had chronic traumatic encephalopathy he um, he believed he he got it from the from the knocks that he got during his footy career and some of the the traits I guess that he's been showing in recent years so he he thought that if he could do some good for other people he would do so he, he probably didn't expect that the brain was going to be available quite as early as it was that was only a couple of months ago he, he made that commitment. Mm. Um, he said, yeah, I mean, I think his line was something like, when I've, when I've uh, stopped using it, they can have it. Um, and that's obviously what's happened. So he's gonna, he's, his legacy is going to continue. So he had an impact on the field. He's going to have a, a legacy after, after his life with, uh, with what he's done in that regard. Wonderful footballer, wonderful contributor to Australian sport, as you've just mentioned, with what he did with World Series cricket and managing a lot of the great players uh, that delighted so many people for so many years on a cricket field. But he did become a bit reclusive in his latter years. I, I caught up with him, but I can't remember the last time I'd had a, a chat with Austin Robertson. I remember doing an in-depth interview with him many years ago. Uh, his latter part of his life probably didn't go according to plan because speaking to a few of his teammates, uh, he sort of shun away from the limelight a bit. Oh, well, and he was 80. He was 80 when he died, so he and his health hadn't been all that flash in, in recent times, so he's sort of down... I guess, I guess that's that's diminished. His public profile's diminished a little bit as he as he got older and 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 suffered some, some illness. Um, I, look, he had a... You know, he he lost a lot of money over the over the journey. He he had some ups and downs, and in recent years, he had as many downs as I guess he had ups in his in his younger years. So that was an issue. It's part of the reason why he came back to Perth about uh, fourteen or fifteen years ago. He'd been living in in the Gold Coast. He lost he lost a, a fortune and basically had to start again. So he came back to Perth, where it had all started all those years earlier, and. Uh, that that probably explains to some degree why he did become a little bit um, uh, well. He, he he went out of the public eye. Mm. That's, that's although as a, he, he's been writing a weekly column in the Post newspaper, so he, he's certainly had a profile through that. Mm. Um, and uh, you know he he'd done that. That was that was part of what happened when he came back to Perth t- uh, twelve or fourteen years ago. That 
he made contact with Brett Christian, who he'd worked with at the Daily News many years earlier, and as a, as a result, got the column and wrote a lot of on a lot of matter, a lot of sporting matters actually, mm. not just you know not you know scoreboards and that sort of thing. I wrote a lot about the personalities and the people that he he dealt with and he'd come across over the years, and a lot of the a lot of his columns were really insightful into you know that era where where he was a either a big name footballer or on the edges of big name cricket. John Townsend, brilliantly covered. Thank you very much for sharing uh, your memories and your thoughts and your insight into one of uh, WA's great uh, sporting identities, particularly in the West Australian National Football League, uh, Austin Robertson Jr., who passed away at the age of 80 in the last 24 hours. Thanks for your time. No worries, Peter. Good on you. Good on you. Uh, Ocker, he was affectionately known. Give us your thoughts. Norman Cowell says, Austin Robertson Jr. to me. Uh, must be of being the best full forward in Australia, not just WA. In 1973, I was four year, years old when uh, Subiaco won that premiership after 49 years. We're going to take a break. We'll come back with more in a moment. Of course, Sports Day WA is brought to you by Kia and the Kia EV6 GT World Performance Car of the Year 2023. And of course, Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 45 years. And of course, one of the big breaking stories of the day for Cobram Estate Premium Australian Extra Virgin Olive Oil, that the passing of one of the greats of West Australian football uh, in Austin Robertson Jr. Of course, one of WA's greatest full forwards, played 269 games for Subiaco, played that season for his dad's club, South Melbourne, in the old VFL in the 1960s and 70s and was concussed five times during his Aussie rules career. And as we've mentioned, uh, reckons uh, now that he's passed on, will donate his brain to science uh, and look for CTC as a result of repeated head trauma. Uh, Cobram Estate, Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil, grown, harvested and first cold-pressed in northern Victoria. Time now to chat with mates, and you can make the switch to mate internet and mobile phone. He's a mate of ours. Josh Dorr from the Nine Network in Melbourne joins us on the program now. Hello, Josh. <laughs> G'day, Pete. How are you? Good, thanks. Uh, a bit happening. We thought you'd get you on just to sort of recap what's happening in Melbourne uh, as we head towards the final round of the AFL home and away season. And uh, the big story today, no doubt, is Simon Goodwin. He's been uh, locked away, the Melbourne Premiership coach, until the end of 2026, uh, which is a pretty strong uh, show of faith on the eve of the finals by the Melbourne decision makers. Yeah, absolutely it is. And, um, you know, a, a great reward, I guess, first and foremost for Melbourne locking in a, a third straight top four berth. But, yeah, still contracted uh, until the end of next year. But the Demons have um, rewarded that with a further two years. So locked into the top job for, for three now. And it's been a really interesting year for, for Goodwin on a on a personal front. Obviously, um, you know, Melbourne have had a another really strong season. And, um, you know, if, 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 I guess if the way things play out, um, we'll, we'll probably most likely play Collingwood in that first week of finals and what a what a match that will be. But, I mean, just in the last, you know, couple of weeks, um, there's been an ongoing court battle uh, between Melbourne and its former president, Glenn Bartlett, a really ugly dispute over his departure. And um, there were more allegations that, that resurfaced really about um, Simon Goodwin's behaviour off the back of... Um, uh, Glenn Bartlett's fiance raising this through court documents. So, really, pretty heavy stuff about um, alleged drug use and gambling, all, all of which the Goodwin has um, denied re refutely over the last couple of years. But you know, to be brought up again was 
was pretty taxing time. So I think the timing of this is was really important for the club to, yeah, you know, obviously reward him for what has been a, it's so, to this stage, I guess, another successful season, but also, um, you know, I guess show the the faith and the love and support that uh, the current president, um, you know, Gary Pert and, and, and CEO Kate Roffey and, and the like here have uh, have really endorsed with him. So they've got a big finals tilt ahead and. A few interesting, I guess, discussions and selection-wise. We know Brody Grundy was dropped again. It looks like his time at Melbourne's all but up. But um, they've got a pretty much the perfect side ready to try to attack September. They've got one more game against the Swans um, on Sunday in Sydney, which will be another one that will shape the top eight. But um, obviously that, that bid for a second premiership for, for Goodwin and the Demons has given a, a little nice boost with that contract news today. Yeah, and it looks like also the fact now with his two-year deal that... You know, Simon Goodwood could become Melbourne's fourth coach to reach 200 games alongside some big names, you know, Norm Smith, Frank Hughes and and Neil Danaher. So congratulations to him. What's the latest at Collingwood regarding their uh, unfortunate uh, growing list of injuries on the eve of what looked like to be a very exciting finals campaign, but they've just slid uh, away a fraction, headed, of course, by Nick Dacos, who's desperately trying to come back before time. Yeah, so I guess in contrast to Melbourne, Pete Collingwood are sort of, you know, falling out of form at the wrong time of year and the injuries haven't helped. So uh, you mentioned Nick Dacos, he's he's still a couple of weeks away and, you know, maybe at earliest might be ready for a semi-final if, if things don't go well for Collingwood in the first week of finals. Uh, Darcy Moore is, is good to go and, and, I mean, Craig McRae even admitted today if they were playing a final this weekend, they'd probably, they'd probably push him back. So he'll be good to go for the first final, but it's, it's a few of those other guys around the fringes. So Nathan Murphy... Um, he'll miss Friday night's final game against Essendon. He's had um, a back issue and he's been carrying some some bumps and bruises along the way the last couple of weeks. So they'll put him on ice for the first final. Um, they do get Jordan Degoe, though, back. And, and Bobby Hill has also been given the green light to return. So a bit of mixed news on the injury front. But um, Ash Johnson, another uh, forward who's been, you know, toiling away in the VFL for the last couple of weeks, but obviously has proven at AFL level. He went down at training again today. So... Things are just going uh, pear-shaped a little bit at the wrong time. And you know, there's a fair bit of pressure now on Craig McRae. They've, they've been the number one uh, uh, team throughout the whole season and, and held on to that top spot for a long, long time. But, you know, some question marks starting to creep in now, I guess, about, um, you know, their hunger and, and, and their intensity over the last couple of weeks. It's been off and we know they've been conceding some really big scores, which is not what they've done throughout this part of the year. So um, you don't want to be limping sort of towards finals or waiting for finals to arrive to, to try to find that intensity and, and, you know, no doubt they're still going to be a threat. But um, I think, you know, Craig McRae would certainly be hoping for one big, uh, huge performance against the Bombers, who themselves will be smarting after that big defeat at the hands of the Giants. Their season's uh, essentially over. But, you know, one more big win, hopefully, with a couple of those guys back just to just to instill a little bit of confidence and, and a little bit of, uh, I guess, the Collingwood of old before they, before they hit that first week of finals. Tell us about the yarn surrounding Hawks youngster Finn McGuinness and tagging for Hawthorne. Tell us more. Yeah, he's been an interesting talking point the last couple of weeks over here, Pete. It's um, It's been a resurgence of the tagger, really, and it's caught a, a few people by surprise and, and a few uh, people by interest. And he's, we've had lockdown roles on Nick Dacos and, and Clayton Oliver over the last couple of weeks and, and done it really successfully and even ruffled Tom Goodwin's feathers over the weekend. Goodwin sort of hit back at him saying, oh, clearly he doesn't want the ball. Um, and, and Finn obviously isn't really playing that role at the moment for the Hawks. They've, they've got, I guess, the luxury at the moment where they are to, to be able to... I guess use a guy in that um, in, a, in that area. You obviously give up a little bit when you when you go for the lockdown tag, but it's worked well for the Hawks in their little resurgence. And you know it's, it's actually going to be interesting, I guess, to see 
whether other teams have taken note of that. Clayton Oliver only managed 14 touches over the weekend and, and was really frustrated by that tag and sort of, um, you know, got a bit distracted in the battle uh, from an individual point of view. So whether teams look at that this September and go, OK, maybe we got, you know, a little chink in the armour potentially with the way Clayton's gone about things. But, um, yeah, it's, it's it's really interesting for the Hawks. They've, they've turned to it. Sam Mitchell's turned to it. Of course, he's uh, a player who um, himself back in the day was tagged heavily, so he knows what it takes. Um, so how long that can last for them, I guess, as they try to push for finals next year will be a very interesting watch. They obviously finished the season against Fremantle on Saturday and unfortunately I couldn't quite get uh, a tip from Finn as to who will be going to this weekend. Obviously a bit of a dead rubber, but <laughs> um, pride on the line to finish at the MCG. But um, yeah, he's been a really interesting talking point. And, and, and as I said, it'll be interesting to see against Nick Dacos or against Clayton Oliver how some of these finals teams might uh, might use some of the what he's success he's had to potentially find it themselves. Talking to Josh Dore, Channel 9 Melbourne sports reporter, bringing us up to date with the news in Melbourne. And finally, in the VFL, Richmond youngster Tyler Sonsi. Uh, tell you what, he's been let off lightly, uh, and I know a lot of footy figures have erupted uh, over there, suggesting how could this only now get a three-match suspension. Uh, last weekend against North Melbourne, reportedly he lashed out an opponent with a left-handed strike. He collected uh, the North Melbourne player on the jaw. He dropped to the ground. Uh, the player in uh, Tom Capillari did get up uh, back on his feet and took the kick, but the incident was nonetheless graded severe. Now, he's taken to the tribunal. I think he got a ban for five. The people thought it might be five or more matches. In the end, it's gone down to three. Had this happened in the AFL, they reckon the player could have been out for a couple of months. Yeah, it's a pretty confronting um, image, and, uh, and particularly at a time where you know, we've been talking about um, some really horrible off-field incidents. I mean, this week we saw Jack Zabel, you know, assaulted at random at a pub after uh, his retirement game. So, you know, we don't want to be seeing these images at all. So the VFL, uh, where this game was played, is actually going to be challenging that decision. So as you said, it was five games down to three because the, the strike was downgraded in severity, but the VFL uh, not happy with accepting three weeks. So they'll be challenging that. And that'll be a hearing, which will be early next week on Monday, I believe. But yeah, just, I guess, another example of a bit of the lottery sometimes that uh, the match review, whether it be at AFL or VFL level, um, can sometimes come up with. I mean, cast your mind back earlier in the year and James Sisley, the Hawthorne skipper, was suspended for three weeks for, for a sling tackle. So I don't think it really marries up a punch in the face compared to a tackle um, getting the same result. So hopefully this will be sorted out and, and, and a strong message sent because it's not something we want to see in our game at all. Good on you, Josh. Thanks for joining us. Uh, a bit of story here about Liam Henry not accepting the Fremantle contract that's been put in front of him. Just check it out, uh, mate, at Carlton. I believe he's been offered a three-year deal down there at the Blues. And he's pretty keen maybe to uh, have a second AFL club on his resume. Check it out. Uh, Liam Henry, possibly, from what I gather, three-year deal at the Carlton Footy Club, but who are going OK, by the way. Thanks for joining us, Josh. Thanks, Pete. Good on you. Good on you. We'll take a break. Come back with more in a moment here on Sports Day WA. Yes, we're here for the Kia EV6 GT World Performance Car of the Year and Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 45 years. You're with Peter Vlahos. It's a quarter to six, and we do this monthly here on Sports Day WA, having a look at what's happening at all the great venues around Perth when it comes to sport with the uh, C Chief Operating Officer of uh, Venues West and Peter Bocop. Pete, uh, a very good evening to you. 
Good evening, Pete. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, just like you, just getting our breath back after what was an incredible FIFA Women's World Cup. How big was that? Oh, wasn't it? I mean, this this event totally exceeded all of our expectations. If you look at the um, the fixtures we held at HBF Park, five matches, three complete sellouts, and two matches within 1,000 patrons of the sellout. So um, we haven't had a run like that at HBF Park for over um, over 10 years. It's unbelievable. And, of course, the Matildas didn't play a game there, but uh, the people certainly came out. Speaking about the Matildas, uh, we've got the Asian Olympic qualifying series. The Combat Matildas will be back here uh, towards October, November. And I believe, reading today, that HBF Park is basically sold out for those three games. It is very close to being sold out, which is it's great to have you know Sam to bring her waltzing Matildas home. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better a better result. And look, Pete, I think it's worth touching on the fact of how well the Matildas did. Um, what got me is you know th- this event had nearly two million people turn up to it, and having 11.2 million people turn on the TV to watch the Matildas play, I'm still absolutely gobsmacked. And even I must admit, I was actually in Gallipoli in Turkey. And I had the good fortune to have a pub with a TV on so I could still watch the Matildas play Sweden on that Saturday afternoon. Oh, you, would have noticed, you would have noticed it in Europe how significant this event is. Oh, look, it is, it is the third biggest event in the world behind the Men's World Cup and the, um, and the Olympics, obviously. But I think it's worth noting the, the steps that it's are being taken to in, improve it and increase the participation. I mean... The ground that it's gaining and the momentum it's gaining. I mean, uh, what I'd love to see. Could you imagine the day where the men's and women's World Cup have absolutely equal footing? I just think it would be wonderful. And there's some massive steps taken in the last um, month with the um, 2023 World Cup. All right, uh, let's uh, turn our attention here to Optus Stadium, and it's the final game of the home and away season, the final game of the AFL actually at Optus Stadium this Saturday night with the Eagles taking on the Adelaide Crows. Yeah, it is. And look, whilst it hasn't been a wonderful season for the Eagles, obviously there's um, three key players that are hanging up the boots. So it'll be great to see the fans get out there and give them a, a good send-off. And um, hopefully the Eagles can can bring home their fourth win of the season. I know that the West Coast Eagles fans are rallying everybody to get here. Do you expect a, a significant yeah. crowd? Yeah, we do. One good thing, I mean, I know the Eagles have had a tough trot the last few years, but we're getting pretty good membership show rates. And again, the, the average Eagles crowd is you know close to 40,000 people. And I think most AFL clubs would snap people's arms off for that. Mm. So, you know, well done to all the fans for sticking with them. Uh, in September, the WAFL Grand Final returns to Optus. Yeah, look, a fair bit of grand final action in September. Obviously, the WAFL grand final on Sunday the 24th. And a week later, even though the grand final, the AFL grand final, not in WA, obviously, um, but you can get to still go to Optus Stadium. There's a truckload of corporate facilities and functions open. You can book tables, you can book suites, and it's the next best thing to being at the G. And once the football curtain comes down, we swing into cricket. And uh, there's plenty of big cricket happening here at Optus as well. I know, I must I nearly pinch myself to think summer's just around the corner here. Um, but obviously we've got a test. Um, we've got um, Australia playing Pakistan from the 14th to the 18th of December. And then only a couple of days later, the Big Bash gets underway and Perth is playing the Hobart Hurricanes on the 20th of December to open their account. And you can snap up your tickets now? 
Uh, I believe you can. Actually, all of these events are on sale at the moment, but you can go in and get a ticket to any sporting code that you wish. <laughs> Fantastic. Interesting, RAC Arena will be, again, the home base for the Perth Wildcats in the NBL season returns. Uh, I'm a bit flabbergasted, actually. It's starting on the weekend that we have the AFL Grand Final, but they take on the Tasmania Jack Jumpers. They certainly do. So, look, a, a little bit of competition to go ahead to the <laughs> AFL Grand Final, but that's courage. Um, but, yeah, Friday the 29th of September, Perth opened their account. So, obviously, they, they made the finals again last year, made the finals last year after missing out the year before. So, let's hope they continue that upwards um, trajectory, mate, and feature deep into the finals this season. Yeah, no, I think their recruiting is uh, very good, and I think they're in for a big season. So, they open it up against the Jack Jumpers the 29th of September. Can I ask you, HBF Stadium always has a bit of variety when it comes to events out there at Mount Claremont, and you've got a bit of variety coming up during the month, uh, later this uh, month in August and also during October. Yeah, especially if you're a fan of, of cheer and dance, on the 25th and 26th of August, we've got the Australian All-Star Cheerleading Federation State Championships, and then on the 21st of October, we've got the WA State Open Dance Sport event. So plenty of dancing in that space. And if that's not your cup of tea, you can come along on the 28th of October to Eternal MMA. And uh, this is Australia's premier mixed martial art organisation. And I must say, since we had that big event at RAC Arena uh, not so long ago, Eternal MMA has been selling out for every event. So you want to jump on the Ticketmaster website and get your tickets pretty quickly for that one. A bit of variety there, isn't there? Uh, at HBF oh. Stadium, we've got cheerleading, we've got dancing, and we've got MMA from one extreme <laughs> to the other. So uh, something for everybody there at uh, HBF Stadium. Good on you, Pete. And uh, how was the trip overseas? Okay? Oh, look, it was um, it was wonderful, Pete. We got to... Um, Got to have a look around Gallipoli. We've actually got a hill named after us at Gallipoli after a long-distance relative that was um, that was a, a colonel over there and got shot dead during the contest. Was that right? So we went to, to yeah, we went to climb our own hill and um, also took my daughter on a trip of a lifetime. We went to um, Zaget Island in Hungary and went to a festival with four hundred and fifty thousand people. Wow, a festival! So, so it was a music festival, yeah. was it? It was a music festival. Who was yeah. who was yeah. the who was the big act? Oh, quite a few. Uh, Billie Eilish, uh, David Guetta, yeah. Mumford & Sons, Florence and the Machine. And it was funny, we, we spoke to the people that organised it and all they wanted to do was ask us about Coldplay and Perth. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and I said there's a competition going on for maybe a local artist to be the curtain raiser to Coldplay, which yeah. would be fantastic. All right, good there on you. Hey? I was going to say, Pete, if you want to get your band together, I mean, what an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's uh, going crazy. The amount of applications that are coming in there, and imagine your resume. I open for Coldplay. That sort of sets you up for the rest of your life. I might get my old Mount Lawley uh, high school band together. A bit of dust off my Les Paul, actually, and see how we go. Good on you, Pete. Thanks for joining okay, us, mate. Uh, good to see you back, and uh, no doubt a, a great lifetime experience travelling through Europe. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, thanks, Pete. All the best, mate. Good on you. That's Peter Bocop, uh, the chief operating officer of uh, the venues west. So there you go. Some uh, decent hacks of that festival. 450,000. Okay, before I go, by the way, you can try Mate for $1 on all Mate internet and mobile plans. Just make the switch to Mate. Finally, for Polaris, Australia's number one selling side-by-side brand, just repeating that Melbourne have locked away Premiership coach Simon Goodwin until the end of 2026 in a strong show of faith on the eve of the finals. 
West Australian football great Austin Robinson left us today. Uh, uh, the 80-year-old, 269 games for Subiaco, and he played a season for South Melbourne in the old VFL. And Nick Kyrgios has emphatically returned serve. Ugly rumours that he's done and dusted. He says he's working his way back to again parade and try and do his best on the international tennis courts. And that's for Polaris. The play clearance deals on now. Save $2,000 on the Ranger 1000 EPS, plus get $1,000 free accessories. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Jimmy. Back again tomorrow from 5 right here on SEN. This has been Sports Day WA.